Today's reading is taken from James chapter 3, um, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Whoops. Okay, um, I should have said before, there's no KPC kids, but that's obvious now. There is an activity sheet that you can grab off the table up the back if you need that for the kids, but I don't think Anastasia or Josiah will benefit from that. Um, for the rest of you, if you found the sermon outline, uh, what you'll see we'll do today is we're just going to step through the passage, nice and simple. But as we do that, we're thinking about tongues, thinking about being able to speak, and I'm sure you've been to one of those um, kind of get-to-know-you type days where you, you play Pictionary or Charades, and it's a great laugh. When you can't use your mouth, when you can't use your words, to try and communicate in other ways. It's a very entertaining exercise. But what would you lose if you did lose your tongue? Um, in primary school, we got sent off to boarding school. Um, and the middle of one of the dorms, there was 10 beds each side. There was this kind of cricket strip down the middle. It's good for cricket, I guess, but it wasn't so good for football. And my brother, he and some of the other Kids were, were playing their, their football game down this carpet area and Tim fell and yeah, bit his tongue. Didn't quite bite it off, but enough to give himself a horrible scare. You think, well, what would he have lost if he lost his tongue? I, think, I don't think he would have been a teacher. I don't think he would have been a, a Baptist minister, although think about it. I think if you lost your tongue, the thing you would lose is the ability to speak clearly and quickly and efficiently um, and easily, and you shouldn't take cheap shots at your brother when he's a Baptist minister. But our tongues are important. Our tongues are very important. Um, words are powerful. The way we speak can be extremely encouraging. We can build people up with very few words, carefully spoken, and at the same time we can tear people down with words of criticism. When you uh, 
read about tongues through this passage, that's what we should be thinking about, the ability to speak, and in particular, the power of the tongue and the damage or the, or the benefit the tongue can bring. I think that's a key point in the passage is the power of the tongue. One of the tricks we've found on our way through James is the logic, his logic flow. It jumps around a bit like a bad sermon. But this chapter, no exception, he starts by talking about someone who's te- a teacher. So if you look at verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he's talking about presuming to be a teacher, whereas the rest of the passage seems to be about the way you use your tongue. You think, what's, what's the logic here? So 3, verse 1, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Not many should presume to be teachers. You'll be judged more strictly. Um, that's a bit of a scary thought, especially as I stand here attempting to teach. But it is one of those very blunt warnings that James gives. We shouldn't presume to be teachers because those who teach will be judged more strictly. This comes straight on the back of what we looked at last week in chapter 2, directly after last week's passage where we saw um, that faith, genuine faith, is seen in your actions. If you really believe, you will put it into action. The logic, I think, goes like this. If you claim you're a follower of Jesus, show it with your actions, and all the more if you're a teacher or if you want to be a teacher. Show what you believe by your actions and take particular care how you use your tongue. I think that's the kind of logic we've got here. Show what you believe by your actions. If you presume to be a teacher, even more so. And you look at your tongue, it shows what you really believe. Our tongues betray what we think. The words that come out of our mouth show what's really on our heart. You can't fake it. Your tongue will show what you really believe. Um, and just in case you think um, this is all to do with teachers, well, no, because in verse 2 it talks about everyone stumbling. So 3 verse 1 puts the spotlight on those who claim to teach. Watch your words, it's saying. Um, and the way you watch your words is to work on your heart. I think that's the logic of the passage. But if, you, um, if you're not wanting to be a teacher, do you get off the hook? No. Look at 3 verse 2. It begins, we all stumble in many ways. And the logic moves to the fact that, yeah, we all make mistakes. We all stumble. Not um, Why shouldn't you presume to be teachers? Because we're all the same. We all stumble. We all mess up. Um, You can't say this passage is not about you because you're not wanting to be a teacher. It's about all of us. Um, James turns to the tongue as an example of how easy it is for us to stumble. So verse 2, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. In other words, if you can control your words, if you can control what you say, well, you can control everything else too. If you can control your tongue, well, you can control your whole body. But the trick is the tongue's hard to control. Tongues, they're powerful and they're hard to control. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to um, drive a very powerful vehicle in the wet. You you can't relax, can you? You've got to be vigilant. You've got to be careful and restrained. Uh, You wouldn't want to use cruise control. Um, When I was uh, growing up, we lived in western suburbs of 
Sydney and Engleburn, a long way from the beach, a long way from anything really. And we had our little taste of car culture. And back in those days, if you couldn't afford a V8 Holden, you might think about getting a Ford or you might even get one of those little uh, Suzuki Swifts and beef it up with an extractor and whatever else. And the same soundtrack that would go round and round and just do laps of Engleburn. Little cars, big cars, very powerful, very hard to handle in the wet. James uses three much better examples of the tongue. So if you look at verse three, he says, when you put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. This little bit in the mouth and you can turn the big horse, make it do exactly what you want. He's saying the tongue is like that. It's powerful. Well, verse four takes ships as an example of that. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. He's saying the tongue, it's like the rudder, this tiny little thing that can turn a massive ship. And he goes in verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Your tongue, it's small, but it's powerful, is what James is saying. And what you can, What you say can build people up can change the way they live even. And what you, can, what you say can cripple people. Our choice of words and the way we express them can be like a spark in the forest. They can start a huge bushfire with untold damage. Tongues, they're powerful, James is saying, and he's focusing on the negative impact of tongues. He says, likewise, tongues, the, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts as you boast and you brag and you open your mouth and talk yourself up the mess you create for yourself and for others is incredible and he goes on in verse six i can read verse six slowly the tongue also is a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body it corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell Pretty strong language to describe the power of our tongues, our small tongues. But we know it's true. I mean, how often have you hurt someone by saying something, maybe even speaking the truth at the wrong time, or by saying something that perhaps you should have kept to yourself and the damage you caused? or maybe by saying something about someone behind their back, or perhaps by speaking to provoke someone else to anger, or perhaps just by speaking yourself up, painting yourself into a corner by saying how good you are. How many times have you wanted to have the last say rather than just let it go and hold your tongue? Once you've said something, you can't really take it back. You can try. You can say lots of other words on top of it you can apologize and the person you've wronged well they might forgive you but they may never forget that's what words are like once they're out so verse five our tongues and our pride they're a lethal combination as we boast and as we fight to win win arguments and like you found i suppose all the way through james you read this and you think crumbs there's things i need to work on and if that's true of you then Make your apologies. Do your best um, to make amends. Don't let it go. 
But point one in the passage, tongues are powerful, incredibly powerful. And point two, our tongues in verses seven to eight, they're untamable. You cannot tame your tongue. So in verse two, um, Paul says, if you can control your tongue, well, you can control the whole body. But here in verses seven, eight, he goes, well, you can't. And there is this bit about James where he, he kind of generalizes, extrapolates out to the extreme. But as he's as he's as you're reading, you think, yeah, it's true. You, you just can't tame your tongue. I mean, people can tame all sorts of animals. We tame dogs all the time, teach them to sit. Our neighbor needs to teach theirs not to bark. We can teach seals to jump through hoops. You can even teach or train snakes or appear to train them, somehow manage their behavior. The same can be said for lions. My understanding is that lion tamers start when the lions are very young, um, treat the, teach the animals to respect them and start to train their lions um, to, to look like they're doing exactly what the trainer wants them to, but there's always the risk. It's always the risk that they'll turn. James says, if you could control your tongue, even if it was just like a lion tamer controls a lion, you'd be laughing. You'd have everything under control. But look what he says in verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You just can't tame your tongue. No matter how hard you try, it's just an impossible task. Our tongues, they have a mind of their own. They come out with what you're really thinking when you didn't want them to. Our mouths, they start talking before we've told them what to say, and they talk all sorts of stuff. When you stub your toe or you crack your head, all sorts of stuff rolls out of your mouth, don't you? And at this point, parents are reading James and thinking, he's got to say something about swearing. We've got to teach the kids not to swear. Yeah, that's true. But that's not all James is talking about. It's bigger than that. I don't think James has swear words in mind, but I'm sure he would include it, along with gossip, along with slander, along with putting other people down and telling lies. It all stands as evidence that we can't tame our tongue. So far we've said, firstly, tongues are powerful. Secondly, you can't tame them. And it's a pretty negative picture of our mouths and our tongues. Let's have a look at point three because... The fact that you can't tame your tongue means that your tongue shows who you really are, shows what you're like on the inside, the tale our tongues tell about us. So we have here in um, Kenmore, we have a growing number of South African Australians and New Zealand Australians, and they're doing their best to fit in. They're doing everything they can to fit in. They, they drive the same cars, they, they, they go to the same schools, but the minute they open their mouth, you know exactly where they've come from. Tongues, they tell what's really on our heart. They're like that. We put a huge godliness facade on and then you jump out of your car here at the school and you see the devastation of the school after the storm and you start thinking all these negative things and then you, your tongue shows what you're really thinking, doesn't it? Our tongues, they reveal who we are, they reveal what we think. Look at the tale our tongues tell about us. If you look at verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. How can that happen? How can you have praise and cursing coming out of the same mouth? It's like these impossible comparisons that he's making here. But it's true. 
you come to church, um, you, you stand and you sing through your mask, praising God. You, you pray. You might even come here and preach. And then you go home and you slander someone else in the congregation. Or you write someone off. Or you write the sermon off because Steve was having a bad day. James says it shouldn't be like that. But why does it happen? Why, why do we do it? Have a closer look at the tale our tongues tell about us in verses 10 to 12. So out of the same mouth, verse 10, come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Yeah, they're old types of illustrations, but what he's saying is you can't make something different come out than what's in there. So in verses 11 and 12, they're impossible examples. Fresh water and salt water can't come from the same stream. If, if there's the same spring, if there's salt water in it, salt water comes out. Fresh water, fresh water comes out. You, you can't fake it. It doesn't work. The problem with our tongues is a lot deeper than our mouth. The problem with our tongues comes down to our heart and to our minds. It's what's on our heart and on our mind that's the problem. We can't pretend to be something that we're not. Our tongues will betray us. We might try very hard to control what we say, and we, we get away with it for a while. But sooner or later, we let something slip, and we'll say something hurtful. We'll tell a little fib. We'll say something that makes people think that we're better than we really are. We'll let some coarse language come streaming out, showing what we've really got in our mind, showing what's really happening in our hearts. Our tongues show what we think about, show who we are. The things that slip out of our mouth show what we really feel, show what we really think. So James's point is, if you can clean up your heart, then you'll clean up your tongue. Fix your heart and you'll fix your tongue, which I think brings you back to the context of chapter 2. Remember in chapter 2, put your faith into, your, into action. If you really believe it, do it. If you really believe it, put it into practice. This week, our tongues are a good gauge of how we're going with that, aren't they? What comes out of our mouth shows where we're really at, where we're really up to. Um, and I think it works the other way around too. How hard we try to control our speech, how hard we try reveals how serious we are about being a Christian because if we're serious about controlling our words, we'll be working on our heart, working on our minds, working on what we believe working on what we think and how we love. Um, if you're a Christian trusting in Jesus' death in your place, you work in uh, putting that faith into practice in the way that you treat other people, in the way that you think about other people, in the way that you pray about other people. And as you do that, that's what will come out your mouth. It will show in your speech the things you say, um, the way you say them, when you say them. If you're not a Christian on the, on the other hand and you want to clean up your mouth, well, yeah. There's not much point in trying to put something into practice if you don't actually believe it. So get your heart right first. Start there. You need to put your trust in Jesus that he died for you, his death in your place is sufficient for all your sin, and then the gratitude that we have as Christians ought to overflow in the way you think and in the way you speak. So James says in chapter 2, in the second half of chapter 2, we should be showing what we believe by what we do. And the implication in chapter 3 is 
you will show what you believe by the way you speak. And he has this little warning to teachers to be that much more careful because he says we all stumble. Our tongues, um, they are an amazing gift. If you think about how powerful the tongue is, an incredible gift from God. Um, let's, be, let's pray that we will be using our tongues um, to build people up, to praise God, because that's what's in our heart. That's what we want to see happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for us. We ask that you would give us um, ways to express our gratitude for that. Lord, we do pray that you would forgive us um, for the many ways that we ignore you. And Lord, we're keenly aware that our tongues do show that we do drift away and wander away. Lord, we pray that you would help us to keep coming back to you. We pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we've misused our tongues and our mouths. And we ask that you'd change us to be more like you. We pray that we would be using our mouths and our tongues to praise you, to build other people up and to make Jesus known. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.